I would have more significance in my life if. How would you fill in that blank this morning? I would have more significance in my life if. Now, we're all in church, and so you're probably thinking, well, is, is you know, the pastor, is he leading me onto something? Am I supposed to say pray or read my Bible or do something like that? But no, I, I ask this question because it's the honest question. Because I think for many of us, there's something in our lives that we don't have that we think if we had it, it would bring some type of significance meaning or influence to us, that we think that if we had this, it would make the world a better place. When I turned 30, um, a few months after turning 30 years old, I received a magazine in the mail, Christianity Today, and the front cover said, 30 liters under 30. And everybody's laughing because you know it hit me, I would not be on this list. And so... You know, I I looked at the magazine and I thought about it. Cognitively, I can tell you, it's not going to make a big deal in my life. My wife doesn't care. You know, my friends probably don't care. No one really cares that I'm not on this list. But for all of us, there's something like that, that we just feel like whether it's the affirmation or whether it's the achievement to be on this list. And I did what every great pastor does is I went to my small group and I just confessed it and I said, hey, you know, I'm really struggling, you know, just being honest, you know, I'm not the 30 under 30. And in a very kind and loving way, they all looked at me and said, get over yourself. (laughs) What would it be for you? I would have more significance in my life if I got that promotion. I got accepted into that college. I got married, I had a kid, I got that lake house. None of those things are bad things, but in some senses, we were created for so much more meaning, for so much more significance, that the day that you do get that, or the day that I'm on the list of 40 under 40, you realize it's not a big deal. And I think that there's something deeper that we're looking for. Today, we're starting a brand new series. It's called Created For. And we're looking at the first three chapters of Genesis. And in this series, we're going to be looking at today influence, but rest, work, intimacy, trust, and vulnerability. Because I think in our culture, what we want is we want to know what our deeper meaning, what our deeper purpose is. And if we don't know what we're created for, we're going to miss out or pursue something that maybe isn't going to give us the significance that we've hoped for. The main point of this morning's message is this, is you were created for influence. You were created for influence. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis 1, 27 through 31, Genesis 1, 27 to 31. Let me just give you a little background of this passage. So Genesis 1 is the first book of the Bible. It's the creation narrative. The author records seven days of creation. And during this time, the author talks about how God created the world, how God created light from darkness, how God created the ground from the water, how God created animals and plants. 
But the passage that we're reading today, which is so powerful, is the culmination of creating humanity. We're going to find out the names of the first two humans in a few weeks, but in Genesis 2, their names are Adam and Eve. And so with this, this is the culmination. The author of Genesis is telling us as readers to really focus and hone in on our purpose of creation and what God has to say about why we were created. So take a look at this, Genesis 1, 27 through 31. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts in the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath or life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now, for many of us as modern readers, we might read Genesis 1 and think, well, of course humanity has purpose. Of course humanity is valuable. But that wasn't so apparent to the original readers that read this in ancient times. I want to just give you two pieces of context that I think is vital for us to understand this because the Bible is something that it was written to people, not for us. It was written to the ancients, so we have to kind of do the work to understand it. The first piece of context is this. There are a number of creation accounts in ancient times. The Babylonians have theirs, the Egyptians. You can go to Google and you can see all of these different creation narratives from different cultures. And most of them go something like this. The gods get really, really tired, so they create humanity to be their slaves. They create humanity to help them rest. In Genesis 1, you can read the first 26 verses. There is no shred of evidence that God was tired. There is no shred of evidence that God created humanity because he needed help. No, on the contrary, Genesis 1 to 27 says this, is God created humanity out of his self-giving love, out of his generosity, out of his wanting to be with other people. And one of the most repeated phrases in Genesis is this, the image of God. So first of all, the readers would have saw God wasn't tired, but then secondly, they would have saw this term that was repeated, the image of God. Now, just to give you an idea of what this meant, in Egypt, they called Pharaoh Amun-Ra. Amun-Ra, Ra was the god of the Egyptians. So if you go to Egypt today, you'll see the Sphinx, you'll see different images. And what that represented was the Pharaoh was the image of Ra. And what was stunning to the ancient readers who read this for the first time was God doesn't bestow his image on the kings, on a special sect of people, on a special group of people, in the higher class. No, God bestows his image on all humanity. Don't miss this. You are created in God's image. 
you know, to the original readers who knew what slavery was, who knew what oppression was, who knew what all of that was, this was stunning. That the God of the universe would say this, is that you are created in the image of God. Well, what does the image of God mean? What is, how do we break this down? Well, commentators of Genesis, it's a complex term, but I wanna just give you a little bit of a picture of what it might've looked like. In ancient times, there was, um, there was what we called vice regents. So a king would set up his kingdom, and because everything was so spread out, he would send a leader to be a vice regent. This leader represented the king, represented the purpose and values of the country. They were empowered to make decisions. Now, we don't necessarily have this idea of vice regents, but we have ambassadors. So in America, we send ambassadors to other countries. They make decisions, they interact with people based on the values, based on what we see as important, based on the purposes of our country. And so when you hear image of God, as much as it's about the physical representation, as much as it's about purpose and meaning and significance, being created in the image of God was stunning because what they're saying, what the author of Genesis is saying to us, every individual you encounter, you are created in God's image. I love what John Walton says. He's a commentator on Genesis. He says this, being made in the image of God confers on us dignity, entrusts us with responsibility, and implants us a certain potential, namely the capacity to mirror our creator. Don't miss this today. You were created for influence. When you recognize that you were created in God's influence, you begin to see the image of God in other people. As this passage was first being read, the people who felt like they weren't important, the people that felt like maybe God was angry and God was tired of them, would this author say, no, God was not tired. God's not angry. You have dignity, and the person sitting next to you has dignity. Now, we live in a world that there isn't dignity and there isn't decency for a variety of different reasons, for a variety of different topics. And we can't read Genesis 1 without looking to Jesus. In Colossians 1.15, the author says this. It says, the Son, who is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. If you took the rest of the Bible from Genesis, the first book, all the way to Revelation, it's the story of how do we get back to the garden? And the power of that story is this, where humanity failed, where there's sin and where there's brokenness, Jesus gave up the riches of heaven. He came down and took on a physical body, died and resurrected from the dead so that we could recapture our purpose, our meaning, our significance in his image. If you want to have influence, if you want to have significance, know that you're created for God, by God, but also know this, is know that you were intended to experience Jesus. So today our main point is this, you were created for influence. I think this passage gives us two implications of what that looks like. And the first implication is this, your influence starts with those closest to you. Your influence starts with those closest to you. 
In Genesis 1.28, it starts off by saying this, be fruitful and increase and number, fill the earth. Now, there's kids in here. Kids, we are so glad to have you here. I know that some of you are reading this passage and just think, oh, God's telling us to have more babies. But that's not what the passage is completely saying. There's something far more to what this passage is saying of be fruitful and multiply. It's the second part that we forget, which is fill the earth. And if you were to study commentators, if you were to be an ancient, what, what the author of Genesis is saying this, no, humanity was created to make families, to make neighborhoods, to make communities, to make churches, to make clubs, to make different organizations, to make the world, to have relationship with other people, to live out this radical culture, this radical purpose because God, who is self-giving, gave to creation, because God gave and bestowed value to humanity, we are called to see the people he put in front of us. So how does the rest of the Bible kind of bring this out? I think it's really important. As you read through the Old Testament, there's a command that's given. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus repeats that same command, saying, love your neighbor as yourself. Because the assumption is this, is that God has placed people in your life, whether they're physically close, whether they're connected from your family to your neighbors, and then Jesus takes it one step further. He says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. We take a verse like be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and we think it's, it's boiling the ocean. It's about you know, creating culture, creating civilization that's so hard to do. But as you follow the Bible, it starts with the people closest to you. I want to get super practical with you. Do you know the barista that makes your coffee? Can you name the neighbors in your neighborhood? Do you know the teachers in your kids' classrooms? Do you know the names of the teachers in your kids' daycare? Do you know the people around you? Do you know your coworkers? Do you know their names? So often we're looking for something that's big and we're thinking, well, God's called me to make this huge civilization and, and I need to do something radical and something big. And no, 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 God's saying, I've put a ton of people in front of you. There are a ton of people that you have the opportunity to live out this culture-making verse. When I think about this, I think about a, um, the baseball player, Stan Musial. So Stan uh, was a famous baseball player. He's the one in this picture that's wearing the St. Louis Cardinals jersey. Not as remembered as much as Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, or even Mickey Mantle. But he was a great player, consistently played well, lived a long, long life in St. Louis, was part of the fabric of the community. Something that Mickey Mantle said about Stan, though, was very powerful. He said, Stan was a better baseball player than me because he was a better man than me. Bob Costas at Stan Musial's funeral said this. He said, Hank Aaron 
and Willie Mays came up to Bob and told him this story separately. It was in the 1950s, and the All-Star game was happening, and integration was happening. There was, there was black players that were coming with the white players, and they were in the locker rooms together. And the black players were playing cards, and the white players were kind of off to the side. Stan walks over to the black players, and he says this really simple phrase. He says, deal me in. And Hank Aaron and Willie Mays both said to Bob Costas, they said, that meant the world to us. We felt welcomed and we felt belonged. We felt like we belonged. Who in your life is God asking you to say, deal me in? Whose tables are you going to? What people has God put in your life that, that he's saying, hey, I want you to see the people that are closest to you. When you love your neighbor, when you love your enemy, when you love your coworkers, you're living out the whole story of scripture. You're living out because God created this world out of the generosity of his heart, out of a self-giving framework. And as we live out the good news of the gospel, we begin to see the people around us. You were created with influence. When you recognize that, the that you're created in God's image, you see the image of God in other people. So first of all, this morning, your influence starts with those closest to you. And then number two, your influence was meant to make the world a better place. Your influence was meant to make the world a better place. In Genesis 1.28, the second half of that verse, just take a quick look at it with me. It says, and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So as I said before, you know, if you read Genesis 1.1 from start to finish, it goes through the different days of creation. And what's interesting about day six is when the author of Genesis stops and the author of Genesis says, hey, look at humanity. God gives humanity certain responsibilities. So the gods, the gods were tired and they wanted, they, wanted, uh, they wanted humanity to take care of the things that they could. God wasn't tired and God didn't need humanity. But notice what God does. God creates humanity and humans take off where God left off. So think about it this way, is that God didn't create tables, he created trees. God didn't create salad, he created plants. Because in this passage, what, what God commands for humans to do, plant gardens, take care of the beast, take care of the fish. As God has been generous to humanity, humanity is called to be generous and to make this world a better place. Now, I don't know about you, but I pretty much kill every plant I plant. So there must be something more to that. I think what God is saying, and as you see the whole of the Bible, is God has created you with his image, which means God has created you with skills, God has given you time, God has given you money. 
God has given you other resources to make this world a better place. But most of the time, most of the time, we judge ourselves by what we don't have. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough skill. As my third grade Sunday school teacher would say to all of us, God don't make no junk. You are created in God's image. You have certain experiences. You have certain opportunities. And, you, and, and those skills and what God has given you is meant to make the world a better place, but it's also connected to this. It's supposed to help the people around you. Imagine this, if you could capture where you are today, the neighborhood you live in, the job that you have, the experiences and the skills, what if you began to reframe that and say, God, why did you give this to me? I can tell you why, because God wants you to make the world a better place, and you have more from God than you'll ever know. When I was in college, I uh, was part of an experience that was called the Innovative Leadership Experience. It was led by this guy named Dr. Robert H. Roden. So we called him Bob. Bob was uh, a successful pastor. Uh, he was from Richmond, Virginia, and he started a church that ended up becoming thousands and thousands of people. And then he became a high-ranking denominational official and he'll tell you this, he read this book called Halftime by Bob Buford, Moving from Success to Significance. And as he read this book, he said, you know, I've pursued success for most of my life. I want to pursue significance. And what he's doing today is he retired and he's just developing leaders. He's, he's mentoring the next generation. He's given of his time and money. And so what he did with us was he took us all to Washington, D.C. And you know, imagine a bunch of college students like myself with overgrown suits on and we were walking into senators' offices and we, were, we went to the USO office. We went to all these different places. And everywhere we went, Bob would remind us this. He said, your potential is my mission. Your potential is my mission. And we debrief everything and we talked and, and it was just so powerful. But I'll never forget if you ask anybody that went on this trip, they'll tell you the most powerful night was the last night of this trip. We went to a soup kitchen that a local church had, and we took off our suits, got in our T-shirts and jeans, and we just served people. And we sat at tables, and we were sitting with, you know, sitting with people that were homeless and that were in crisis, and we just began having conversations with them. And we debriefed afterwards. And Bob looked at us and he said, your potential is my mission. You've been given so much. Give to other people. I want you to think about that powerful scene. You're not sitting in Browncroft by accident. You're not online at Browncroft by accident. Everything that you have is a gift from your creator. You're created in God's image. And when you recognize that, you see the image of God in other people, and you begin to see this, is that God has given you certain skills and abilities. God has given you resources, whether it's your time, your money, or your talent. 
And again, I, I want this message, I want to I leave it with you with this. This is more of an inventory, not a next step. It's more for you to look at the current areas of your life and say this, God, what are you doing in me? Who are the people that you've placed? God, help me to be aware. John Mark Comer, who's a pastor and an author, he wrote the book uh, Garden City, which I'd encourage you for this series. is a really great book that will partner along with this. So I want to read this to you. We're only going to display the last part of the quote, but I want you to listen to this long quote. I want you to hear yourself in this and apply it to your life today. You're not just a mom or dad getting your kids off to school or reading a story before bed. You're living up to God's call to be fruitful and increase in number. You're not just a contractor working long, hard days in the heat and the cold to build a house. You're cultivating the earth, drawing out its potential, and reshaping the world into an environment for people to live as God intended. You're not just a student going to class or a light rail operator going to the station or a software engineer working on a new app or a chef coming up with a new recipe or a scientist in the lab or a checker standing in place at the grocery store or an entrepreneur working out some crazy idea. Catch this. You're a modern day Adam and Eve. This world is what's left of the garden and your job is to take all the raw materials that are spread out in front of you to work it to take care of it, to rule it, to subdue it, to wrestle, to fight, to explore, and to take the creation project forward as an act of service and worship to the God who made you. You were created for influence. When you recognize the image of God in you, you can't help but see the image of God in those around you. I know that this week is a holiday week, and I, I just, I want to, I've been personally just kind of wrestling with this of what God's calling me to do. So what I want to do is I want all of you to grab your phones right now, and I just want to give you a way to take a next step, but also, like I said, this is more of an inventory for our own lives. So if you grab your phones, go to browncroft.org slash connect. There's a button on there that, said, that says created for influence. And as you click that button, you'll notice that there's a handout. And there's two sides of this handout. Because again, I, I believe what God wants to do is he's calling us not to start something new or do something else, but he's saying, hey, look at your life right now. You know, page one of this handout is really about the first point, is that your influence starts with those closest to you. You know, sometimes we think influence is about what we do far away. It's about our achievements. But I, I wonder if God in this season is challenging us to say, hey, who's in my family? Who are my neighbors? Who are my enemies? Who are my coworkers? I want to challenge you this week to really look through this handout. And then the second page of the handout is about what resources has God given you? All of us have time. All of us have finances. All of us have skills. All of us have experiences. You're right, maybe to different and varying degrees. But if we judge ourselves by what we don't have, we'll never experience the significance and meaning that God has called us to. You know, before we go to communion, if I could just sum up this, or this message and kind of this foundation for series in two questions, it's simply this. Who are the people that God placed in your life? 
who are the people that God has called you to love, that you're a part of culture making? Can you imagine with me? Imagine if we just followed the verse of love your enemy, the people that we disagree with, the people that we don't like. Imagine if they experienced the gospel in the way that Genesis and Jesus intended. We'd live in a different world. Imagine the people that you would come in contact with, whether it's your neighbors, your coworkers, or baristas, or teachers, or whoever, the new kids that are moving on the block. Imagine if they felt, they said, that person treats me differently. And then you're able to explain, no, we treat people in the value that God has for them because you are created in God's image. And the second question is this, is what resources has God given you? Whether it's time, your treasure, your talent, your skills, your experience. What if we just took this week to reflect on it? In a moment, we're gonna be taking communion together, but I just wanna read one last verse because like I said, Genesis 1 points to Jesus. I love the way the message talks about John 1.14. It says this, the word became flesh and blood. Jesus, the image. Jesus took on physical form and left the riches of heaven to be among us and moved into the neighborhood. And we saw with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory like the Father, like the Son, generous inside and out, true from the start to finish. I can think of no better way to start this series about our purpose for being created for, that as we take communion, that we realize the deep generosity of God. You're created, you're existing because God loves you. You have value in his image and that's how he calls us to see other people. And we experience new life through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus's death of resurrection. Just as Jesus walked through his neighborhoods, just as Jesus got to know other people, just as Jesus had family, he calls us to do the same. You were created for influence and then as you recognize the image of God in your life, you can't help but see the image of God in others. Before we take communion, I just wanna give you a few moments just to really thank God for his generosity to you. And then we'll take communion together. Bow your hearts with me. we quiet our hearts before God, we can take the bread. For God so loved the world, he gave. He gave. As Jesus took communion to his disciples, as he was giving this message to them, he said this. He said, this bread is representative of my body, which will be broken for you. Every time you do this, Remember me. Let's take of this bread together.
hear the, the film of communion kind of going through, so I'll give you all a second. And then Jesus took the cup and he said, this is my blood that's been shed for you. And every time you partake of this cup, you remember the sacrifice that I made for you. Let's partake of this cup together. Can you all stand with me this morning? Before uh, we close in prayer, I just want to remind you of two quick things. Um, number one, uh, we have a mercy offering and our ushers are standing in back. The mercy offering is a way for us to live out this passage. There are brown crofters here that are in very acute need. And so it's a way for us to bless them and take care of people that are in crisis. Second thing is, um, some of you, this is... One of your first times here, you've been here for a couple weeks and you haven't taken a first step and you want to get to know us, there's a new uh, visitor table um, right outside in the lobby. We have a free gift for you. We want to get to know you. I want to, as we close, I want to pray a blessing over you. So if you feel comfortable as a way of kind of representing, receiving that blessing, if you could put your hands out, you can bow your heads with me. May the love of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the empowerment and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit be with you this week. May you realize the power and the love that God has for you as someone created in the image of God. And may you see every person that you encountered as someone created in God's image. May you see your skills, your time, your money, your treasure, your talent, your experiences as a way to make this world a better place and to love the people that God has placed in your life. May you walk into work and in your neighborhoods and in your coffee shops and in your daycares and wherever you go, may you live knowing the love of God being created in his image. And I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he would bless your socks off this week. And all God's children said, amen.